I'm guessing from some of the sounds I've heard this morning and, and parents walking around with babies that a lot of folks here can identify with traveling with infants, okay? Now, I'm, ta- I'm not talking about loading them up in a car. That's an adventure too. But especially nowadays with TSA and bagging all this and you know, overhead bins and everything, traveling by air with infants, okay? Either you are doing that now, you're of that age, and, and you, you've done that, and you know what I'm talking about, or that's years ago, and it's a painful memory perhaps, or you've seen those of us who have small children, I don't anymore, praise God, but those of us who, who are traveling, you've watched the spectacle at DFW or Chicago O'Hare or somewhere like that. It is a, it is a difficult and trying experience. Now, my family, we lived in Rio de Janeiro, Brazil for 10 years, and so that meant a lot of international travel between northern southern hemisphere. And because we only came back in the beginning, the plan was to come back every two years, all right? Come back and visit the States every two years. We needed to take back as much peanut butter and Dr. Pepper and those big jars of plastic gallon things of paste picante sauce or whatever, we need to take back as much of that as we could every two years. And so I can tell you truthfully and honestly, we literally, we were weighing everything and we were going to take every pound of baggage that we could within the limits of American or United Airlines. Back then, the good old days, it was 70 pounds a bag. Okay? 70 pounds a bag. So Isla and I and our two very small children, two bags apiece, two times four is eight. That is 560 pounds of checked baggage. Then throw on a stroller, a car seat, a diaper bag, and of course your carry-on bags, which they never basically ever weighed those. So you could pack a lot of good stuff in your carry-on bags back in those days as well. And it was, advent- it was a real adventure. Also, we were kind of a freight company hauling things between the U.S. and Brazil because the church in Brazil needed a lot of things. Um, Christians here would send crates of teaching materials. They would send boxes of toys for the orphanage that we worked with in Rio. Uh, A church here gave us an overhead projector to take to Brazil one time. One time a church gave us, actually I think we bought here, a refurbished laminator. And I don't know if you've ever worked with a laminator or tried to pick up a laminating machine. It is not a lightweight thing. It's like an, an air conditioner, right? It's a very heavy uh, item. So those, all of those things made traveling to and from Brazil um, challenging, especially when you're in... Now, once you get the bags checked, you're good, right? It's, it's really before you get the counter, but once you get the bags checked, you're pretty good, but... But especially it's challenging when one or, God forbid, both children begin to cry and scream at the same time. Okay. And then it kind of makes, it like adds insult to injury when you're, sta- you're finally standing in line there at TSA and you're taking off your shoes, your belt or whatever, and then you see that young couple that has not yet welcomed a child into the world, and they're like, they're like holding hands and smiling at each other and whispering in each other's ear and just kind of a carefree, isn't this great to be getting away? And they have these tiny little bags thrown over their shoulders. And if, that's, if you're looking over that couple, don't, don't get bitter. 
just know their dime is coming. <laughs> they can laugh and hold hands now, but they'll be swatting at kids here in a few years, and it'll all be good. It'll all work out. But it's clumsy. It's exhausting. I share all that to say, last week we started talking about baptism, Christian baptism. And I think we could all agree that there is a lot of baggage that people carry around when it comes to baptism. For some people, it is kind of wrestling, uh, not all the time, but occasionally stopping and wrestling with thinking back on their own journey and thinking back, if they were baptized, that maybe it wasn't really their decision. Was that really my decision, or was I like pressured into that by a youth pastor or my Aunt Edna? Or was that my decision, or did I really just do that because all of my friends did it at summer camp that year way back when? And so some people wrestle thinking, was it really my decision? Some of you wrestle with it, and you carry this baggage of, you absolutely know it wasn't your decision, right? I mean, you were a baby, right? Your, your wonderful parents wanting to dedicate you to the Lord, they made the decision for you. I mean, you were just days old and you got christened. And so you know that it wasn't really your decision. It was a decision that someone else made. It wasn't your faith response. You didn't believe in much of anything when you were a week or two old, did you? So there, there, there's, there's this baggage that people carry around. And that makes this a, a delicate kind of topic to talk about at church um, because of all this baptismal baggage out there. One church teaches one thing, another church teaches another thing. Pastor X, Y, or Z will tell you something different depending on who you ask. And often, as with many religious topics, there is considerable emotion attached as well, right? So let me suggest something this morning as we get going once in week two of this study. Set down the baggage. Stretch those shoulders. Breathe a little bit. And I think one way that you can simplify and you can set some of that baggage down is to just ask yourself this question. Whose voice really... There are a lot of voices out there on a lot of different topics, but whose voice really matters when it comes to you and Jesus and this topic of baptism? Is it, is it your Aunt Edna? Is it what uh, this particular church or that church teaches or that video you watched on YouTube says? Whose voice matters? And I think if you can get clarity on that, then you can set down a lot of the baggage you're carrying around. Now, of course, where we're going with this is the voice of Jesus matters. His voice matters. And really what, what your parents or your grandma or your aunt or someone else told you doesn't matter when it comes to baptism. It's what, it's what Jesus says that really matters, okay? Um, so let's set down the baggage. Here's what we know. Okay, here's what we know. Jesus made the choice to personally be baptized. Okay, we know that. We know that he went down to the Jordan River where John the Baptist was baptizing lots and lots of people. He went down to the Jordan River and he said, John, I want you to baptize me. Now, John didn't really want to. They had a little bit of a disagreement. John's like, I'm not worthy. I'm not even worthy to untie your sandals. But Jesus said, I need to do this. This is the right thing for me to do. Fulfill all righteousness. And so we know that John and Jesus walked into the Jordan River and Jesus was immersed there. So he made that choice. We not only know that 
Jesus made the choice to be baptized, Jesus also talked about baptism. He said in Mark 16, verse 16, this is his voice. He said, whoever believes and is baptized will be saved. So he said that. Mark is not quoting somebody else there. Jesus said that. So with his last words, Matthew, one of Jesus' good friends, with Jesus' last words before ascending to heaven, Jesus says this to his, to his inner circle, his closest friends. He says in Matthew 28, verses 19 and 20, he says, Go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you, and surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. You may recognize that quote. It's called the Great Commission. Okay? And it's called the Great Commission because it is for all nations. All right? Jesus, before he ascends to the Father, he says, Look, this mission you are on is not just to Judea. It's not just to Israel. This is a mission that I'm sending you on to all nations. They did not, of course, know where the United States was or Mexico or Bolivia or Belize, right? But they knew that Jesus was launching something that was not going to be just limited to a certain group, but was for everybody. And so the Great Commission, Jesus says, go in the world, make disciples, baptizing people. So whose voice matters? Well, it's the voice of Jesus. And he was clear with what he did and with what he taught that baptism was important. Believers need to be baptized. Now what we're going to do is watch a little, just about a minute and a half video clip that I think will speak to the simplicity of Christian baptism. And then we'll move on with our study. So it is a reminder of him. Last week, we talked about the rich symbolism of baptism. Why does Jesus tell people to go and get immersed, right? And we saw the richness of that symbol that it really is all about him. It's in remembrance of him. As Jesus, the gospel says, Jesus died for our sins. 
and Jesus was buried. And on the third day, as John reminded us this morning, he rose. And they were probably chest bumping, yes. And they were probably high-fiving because he had conquered sin, he had conquered death, and he had won it not just for himself, but he won it for all of us. And so when you are baptized, we saw, we saw at the beginning of Romans last week, you are, you are symbolically joining your story. You are reenacting the story of Jesus. You are dying and being buried with Jesus. And you're being raised to a new life with Jesus. That's the, that's the imagery of baptism. And so it's not really an act that you perform. Well, i got to check this box. God did his part. Now I'm going to do my part. I'm going to go get baptized. Baptism is a reminder of the act of God, what he did for you, and that you're accepting that and wearing that for yourself. Here is a key idea from the scriptures, and this is in the sermon outline in the bulletin this morning. If you want to fill this out, uh, the key idea is this. From the beginning, people were joined to Jesus and joined to each other through their baptism. Um, Paul wrote this in Galatians chapter 3, verses 26 to 28. This is a good Father's Day verse because it talks about our relationship to God the Father. It says, You are all children of God through faith in Christ Jesus. All who have been united with Christ in baptism have put on the character of Christ like putting on new clothes. There is no longer Jew or Gentile slave or free, male or female, you are all one in Christ Jesus. So baptism, it's not just a personal decision, right? It's not just you and Jesus, Paul says. It is that, but it's much more. It's also you being joined to the family of God, becoming part of the people of God. And we will explore briefly both of those unions this morning but first off I wanted to share with you why baptism matters to God's people well one of the reasons baptism matters to God's people is that it is a marker of our conversion to Christ conversion to Christ it is a statement I am forgiven I have worn the sacrifice of Jesus I know that he died for my sins. So my baptism was a faith response to the gospel. A faith response to the gospel. And very quickly, if, if we were just to kind of... Let's kind of take a field trip through the, early, the earliest history of the Christian church. It is recorded for us by a medical doctor named Luke... In his second book, his first book was Luke. His second book here is the book of Acts. There might have been a third book as well. People debate that. But in the book of Acts, he gives us some history, starting in Jerusalem, Acts chapter 2. There are thousands of people gathered for, the, for Pentecost, Jewish people. They've come to, on this pilgrimage to Jerusalem for Pentecost, an important holiday. And, and they are gathered shortly after the death of Jesus, the resurrection of Jesus. They don't necessarily believe in all of that right? But Peter begins to preach. And he preaches and he shows them how Jesus is the Messiah, the Messiah, the, the fulfillment of, of, of the time of God, the one who is ushering us back into a new and fresh relationship with God. And they realize we're the ones that put him to death. And they're cut to the heart. 
And it says in Acts 2.41, those who accepted his message, Peter's message, were baptized and about 3,000 were added to their number that day. By the way, footnote here, very cool. By the end of the chapter, you already see that they are a family. By the end of chapter 2, they're getting to get, they're having dinner together, they're doing Bible study together, um, they're sharing with other people in their family who are like poor, have financial needs. So very quickly, not only are they joined to Christ, but they're joined together as a family in Samaria. So, so go north from Jerusalem up to Samaria, Philip and several others are preaching the Samaritan people the good news about Jesus. Acts 8, verse 12, when they believed Philip as he preached the good news of the kingdom of God and the name of Jesus Christ, they were what? They were baptized, both men and women. Then, uh, same chapter, uh, Philip again, on a desert road somewhere around Gaza, uh, in what we know as modern Israel. Um, Philip hitches a ride with this man of African descent, Ethiopian government official, who is riding in a chariot, reading from his Bible, which was not one of these Bibles, but one of these you know, scrolls. He's got an Isaiah scroll, and he's reading it. He's not really understanding what's going on. And so Philip gets up into the chariot and... We have this in verses 35 to 38 of chapter 8. Philip began with that very passage of Scripture and told him the good news about Jesus. As they traveled along the road, they came to some water. And the eunuch said, look, here's water. Why shouldn't I be baptized? And he gave orders to stop the chariot. Then both Philip and the eunuch went down into the water And Philip baptized him. A little later, um, very significant here, this is the first real Gentile conversion. Um, So a little bit later, uh, Peter is teaching in the home of Cornelius, a Roman soldier, and his family up in the city of Caesarea. And I guess since Jesus called baptism a new birth, um, you could call this the first Caesarean section. So... um, Yeah, y'all didn't like that, did you? Okay. (laughs) Acts 10, verse 48. Caesarea. So he ordered that they be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ. uh, And then they asked Peter to stay with them for a few days. City of Philippi. uh, Peter, wait, not Peter. Paul is is meeting with a a, a women's prayer group that meets by a river. They gather for prayer. Uh, Lydia is is an influential uh, businesswoman, a very well-to-do businesswoman. Uh, in the city of of Philippi, the leader of this group. And here goes in Acts 16, 14 to 15. One of them was Lydia from Thyatira, a merchant who dealt in expensive purple cloth, who worshipped God. As she listened to us, the Lord opened her heart, and she accepted what Paul was saying. She was baptized along with other members of her household. Also in the city of Philippi, you have the town jailer, the warden, if you will, um, They are miraculously released um, from prison. 
Um, they are in the wee hours, maybe 1, 2 o'clock a.m. I mean, they spent the whole evening with this family as the jailer like cared for their wounds. You can imagine wearing manacles and stuff. They had some, some probably some sores and things like that. And it says in verses 32 to 34 there in Philippi, they shared the word of the Lord with him and who, with all who lived in his household. Even at that very hour of the night, 1, 2 a.m., the jailer cared for them, washed their wounds. Then he and everyone in his household were immediately baptized. Later, Paul is preaching the gospel in Corinth. Corinth, Greece, not Corinth, Texas, okay? He's preaching the gospel in Corinth. Acts 18, verse 8, Crispus, the synagogue ruler, and his entire household believed in the Lord, and many of the Corinthians who heard him believed and were baptized. And then Paul shares his own conversion story. In Acts chapter 22, he's sharing that story of how the Lord reached him. And it kind of, it kind of climaxes in this moment when this fellow Ananias, uh, a believing Jew, uh, a Jewish follower of Jesus, when Ananias says to Paul in Acts 22:16, And now, what are you waiting for? Get up! Be baptized and wash your sins away, calling on his name. So the history of the early church is one of people believing on the name of Jesus and being baptized, wearing that name in baptism immediately, right? Sometimes we just need to lay down our baggage, I think, to see this. Um, no one in the book of Acts, okay, I'm trying to, I, hopefully this is a statement of historical fact here, right? Um, not trying to pick on anybody, but nowhere in the New Testament do you see anybody become a Christian by raising their hand and, quote, accepting Jesus into their heart, okay? Okay, just, you don't see anyone in the book of Acts, uh, you don't see Paul or Peter or any of those guys saying, hey, now it's time to pray the sinner's prayer. You don't see anybody responding to the gospel by coming forward and checking a box on a card that says, today I accepted Jesus into my heart. Okay? Not that those are bad things. It's not bad to pray a prayer acknowledging you're a sinner and you need Jesus as Lord of your life. That's a good thing. It's not a bad thing to raise your hand and say, I believe in Jesus. But biblically, the way that people showed that they believed, showed that they accepted Christ, was they believed and were baptized. Over and over and over and over again, they did what they had seen Jesus do. Go into the river and be immersed. They didn't ask, they didn't complicate things because it really wasn't that complicated. They believed, they repented of their sins, they were baptized. They didn't, they didn't ask, you know, Peter, is it really essential, right? Is it necessary to salvation that I be baptized or is this something I could just kind of opt out of? You never see that in the book. They don't ask that, right? Um, you don't see them asking, um, so is, do I get the Holy Spirit before I'm baptized or after I'm baptized or right at my... They just didn't ask that question. Not that those aren't good questions. They didn't ask those questions. Um, they didn't say, so am I saved before I'm baptized or am I saved after I'm baptized? They just didn't ask those questions because it wasn't that complicated. You believe and you're baptized. Okay? It's not that complicated. 
They didn't have the heavy baggage of 2,000 years of Christian infighting, of doctrine wars, of customized conversion experience, depending on what flavor of Christian church you're a part of. Now, let's be clear. Not everyone who heard Philip or Paul or Peter, and not everyone who heard the preaching of these men was baptized in the name of Jesus because obviously you had a lot of people who didn't believe, right? They heard the preaching. Some of them believed. Some of them didn't believe. Didn't believe. And if they didn't, it would have made absolutely no sense for them to be baptized, of course. In fact, a lot of people who heard Paul preach were offended, Not only did they not believe, they were offended by the message about Jesus, so it would not have made any sense at all for them them to have been baptized in the name of Christ. So not everybody was baptized. But those who believed, well, we have their, their stories recorded for us there in the book of Acts. They believed in the name of Jesus, and they were baptized in the name of Jesus. And so many times it says immediately, immediately. Or there's water, let's do it, you know. It wasn't something that they had to think about for six months or eight months or a year. I'm not sure. You know, if I believe in Jesus, that's what I do. So Jews and Gentiles and and women and men and slaves and free and Greeks and Romans and all kinds, rich people like, like Lydia and poor people, all kinds of people believing on the name of Jesus. And being baptized into that powerful name. No need for heavy human baggage. No need for a thousand questions to be asked. I believe I'm going to be baptized just like I see people doing from the beginning. FYI, if you have been baptized before and you're wondering or or you have serious questions, you know, did my baptism really, was it a biblical baptism? Anyway, whatever your questions are, just know, I just want to tell you, there are people being re-baptized in the New Testament as well, all right? Acts chapter 19, we have have story of of people who who had been baptized but realized, look, I didn't really know what I was doing, I think I need to do that again, so so feel free um, to, to let the Spirit work you toward that if that's what you need as well because there are examples of people being rebaptized. The main thing though, okay, let's get back to the main thing because you can take so many little diversions here. The main thing is baptism matters to God's people because it is a marking point of their conversion to Christ. It also matters to God's people. This is the second bullet point there on the outline because it is a confession. It is a confession of my faith in the name. It says I'm not ashamed. I'm not ashamed. It's, it's a public statement of my decision to trust Jesus. Um, in the book of Acts, uh, like in Acts chapter 20 there, as, as Paul said, it is a, call, quote, calling on the name of the Lord. Be baptized calling on the name of the Lord. It's where you call on Jesus. You say, I belong to Christ, Right? I'm not my own CEO anymore. I'm not my own Lord. I'm, not, I'm tired of trying to save myself. I'm calling on the name of the Lord. Um, and so, like in Galatians 3, Paul compares it to putting on, putting on Jesus, like putting on a new set of clothes. It's a statement of your decision to wear Jesus, to follow Jesus. It also matters to God's people. And this is like one of the forgotten things about baptism, okay? It also matters to God's people because when I was baptized, I became part of a community of Christ. 
It's not a solo decision, folks. It is, it is being joined not only to Jesus, but being joined to this family, the church, the family of God. So I'm home. Baptism unites me with other brothers and sisters, with other believers. Uh, we are a blood-bought people. In the Old Testament, of course, this, the symbol was circumcision, right? Men would be circumcised, or, or as infants, they would be circumcised, and it would mark them, you belong to God's people. Baptism is for men, it's for women, it's for Jews, it's for Gentiles, it is for anyone who believes on the name of the Lord Jesus, and it marks us as being His family, His people. So write this down. I'm joined with other believers by our common baptism. Um, Paul is going to, in, he's going to talk about unity in Ephesians chapter 4. Unity is very important to Paul, that we are together. And we are not united. You know, I don't know if you've noticed, we're pretty different in here, right? We don't all vote for the same political party. We don't all cheer for the same football players on Saturday or Sunday. We don't all have the same preferences. We don't all, you know, we don't, we don't all share the same race. We don't even all at Preston Crest share the same nationality. So there's so many things or so many reasons we really shouldn't be united. But Ephesians 4, Paul says, But the things that unite us are so much bigger and stronger than the things that separate us. Listen to how he... Baptism is one of the things, but there are many things. He says, Ephesians 4, 3-6, Make every effort to keep yourselves united in the Spirit, binding yourselves together with peace. Four. And here's his list. Four. There is one body and one Spirit, just as you have been called to one glorious hope for the future. There is one Lord. There is one faith. Yes, there's one baptism and one God and Father who is over all and in all, living through all. Paul says the things that unite us are so much bigger than things that divide us. One of those things, and it's kind of the forgotten motive of baptism here, is that it Baptism actually unites us. It, it makes us into one body. And so that's the next thing I want to talk about, how it, it really states that we are the body of Christ. 1 Corinthians, we are the body of Christ. 1 Corinthians twelve thirteen, We have all been baptized into one body by one spirit, and we all share the same spirit. By the way, once again, Baptism is an act of God. Did you see it there? We are baptized by one Spirit. God is the one. The Spirit of God is the one who is active in our baptism. It is not something that you accomplish. It is not some noble act that you undertake to please God or impress Him somehow. You are baptized by one Spirit. It is an act of God. And this divine move of God has joined us together as one body. And finally, a consequence of this, and this is so beautiful, a consequence of this, I am part of a church where divisions are overcome by Christ. Divisions are overcome by Christ. And that, to me, 
if I can offer a personal word here, this may be the saddest thing about baptism nowadays. That because of the miserable human baggage that we carry around, baptism has actually become something that divides Christian people. A gift that God gave us, baptism. A gift that He gave us as a marker of our unity in Christ. Satan has actually managed... He loves to do this with God's gifts, right? Whether it's food or whether it's sex or whatever it is. He loves to take a beautiful gift that God gives us and turn it into something destructive. God gives us this beautiful gift of baptism to unite us. And the enemy turns it into something that we argue about and tear each other, tear into each other about. Listen to Paul again. We already read this once, but let's read it again. So... Wonderful. Galatians chapter 3, verses 26 to 28. Paul says, For you are all children of God through faith in Christ Jesus. And all who have been united with Christ in baptism have put on the character of Christ like putting on new clothes. And so there is no longer Jew or Gentile. Slave or free, male and female, you are all one in Christ Jesus. Amen? We, the people of God, we are all one in Christ Jesus. Beautiful, beautiful stuff. I just love thinking about it sometimes. I have brothers and sisters. I've never met them, all of them. met some of them. But I have brothers and sisters in Christ. We have this spiritual bond, unbreakable. We are, we're part of the same family. Brothers and sisters from Bolivia to Brazil, from China to Chechnya, from all over the world. We have these brothers and sisters in Christ. We are one because of what Jesus did for us. This morning, baptism, honestly, may, may or may not be for you this morning. Um, if you are not a believer, if you're not yet ready to accept Jesus as your Lord and Savior, baptism is not for you. Um, it would be no different for you, from you than jumping into a bathtub or a swimming pool or, or just getting wet, all right? So there is no point being baptized if you are not yet a believer. I can tell you, though, I am praying, and this church is praying for you. And our hope for you is that your heart will open up, just like Lydia's heart opened up, to the reality about the good news of Jesus Christ, and that at some point you will believe and be baptized into Christ. But if you don't believe, certainly this would not be uh, something you would need to think about doing this morning, all right? Now, if you are a believer though, and you have not yet been immersed into the name of Jesus, or you have some real serious doubts about why you were immersed, or whether it was your decision or somebody else's decision, you can take that faith journey step of baptism here this morning. I mean, you can come by this afternoon too, but right here in this room this morning, I already had one baptism this morning. Um, I think we're going to have another one or maybe more at this service and we would love to help you with that because it is part of, it is a family welcome ceremony as we celebrate not only you being joined to Christ but you being joined to His people. 
And we're not just talking about the Preston Crest Church of Christ on Preston Road in Dallas, Texas. You being joined to the people of God, the believers in the name of Jesus, wherever they may be found. So if you want to experience a conversion to Christ like our brothers and sisters did in the Bible, and you want to make a public statement about your faith in Christ, you can be baptized this morning um, right here at Preston Crest. Step out in faith and, and make that decision this morning. Maybe this morning, honestly, you just need some prayers about something else that's going on in your life. And we're going to open up a space where we're singing and you can pray with, with somebody sitting next to you with your spouse or with your family or your small group or your connection class. Uh, or you want to pray with me or somebody else. Um, feel free to do that. But however the Spirit of God, however the Spirit of God is calling you to respond, set down that baggage. Say yes. Respond to him this morning as we stand together in worship.